The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. So I have no words to tell you how excited I am today with our guest. Let me tell you about our guest. She has frightened me. She's made me mad. She's made me cry. She's kept me up all night. And one other thing, she's caused me to be so obsessed with one of her books that I almost missed this radio show. So here we are, international best-selling author who remembers us, people with disabilities. Welcome to the show, Karen Slaughter. Thank you, but let's be clear, it's my books, we're not actually married, because that sounds like a marriage. <laughs> yeah, you know what, how did I know as I was saying that you would say, okay, let me make it clear to everyone, her <laughs> novels have kept me up, made me mad, made me cry, and I'm not kidding you, sometimes I, I'm mad at the author. Well, I so, hope you, you know, forgive but I have to be me. careful. I don't want you to think I'm like that movie, Misery. But sometimes I'll think, oh, why did she do this? But, of course, every book, every single book which I've read that you've written is absolutely spectacular. And the fact that you have a protagonist, a lead character, um, who's one of the good guys is someone with a disability is just, my hat's off to you, all of us with people with disabilities. We love you. Well, thank you very much. So for our listeners, um, and you know what? I've always wondered what happens to people. Like are they in school and they just start writing, 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 and then one day they say, oh, I love writing, writing, writing. I mean, how did this happen to you? What made you decide, okay, I'm going to spend my life being an author? How would that happen? Well, I think that you don't choose to be a writer. Writing chooses you. And there are, you know, probably millions of people out there who are writers and who get great pleasure from writing stories and telling stories. But there are very few of us who actually can make a living doing it. So I feel very, very fortunate I'm able to do that. But, you know, every writer I know, we have two things in common. One is we loved our local libraries. And that's really where we got our start, reading was in libraries. And there was a teacher along the way who said to us, you know, you're, you can really do something with this. And that's what happened to me. Um, I had a ninth grade teacher who said, you know, you, you're good, but you could be better. And I was really just coasting along at that point off the ability to write reports and papers and stories and things like that. And when she said you could be better, I thought, wow, no one's ever said that to me. Everybody's always said I'm good. Uh, And it challenged me and it made me want to 
really work on the craft of being a writer. And from there, you know, it, it became my dream to have a book published. I never dreamed I would have this many published. It was just, you know, me thinking about my local bookstore and hoping they might buy a copy and someone other than a family member would buy it. So, you know, it's just been kind of really shocking that, uh, you know, I've been able to do this and, again, that I make a living doing it because it's like you. I know you love doing what you do and you help so many people. Uh, And it's a real gift in your life to be able to do what you want to do. That is so true. That is true. I, I say that all the time because every single time I'm able to help a person with a disability gain a job, it's like a gift to me. And I'll bet that's how you feel when you get these novels published. Absolutely. And, you know, it means so much to me to be able to talk about people with disabilities in my books because growing up, I one of my good friends um, was, um, you know, a little. he had a little lower IQ than the rest of people, but, I mean, he was such a sweetheart, and he was such a part of our family, and I have an uncle with learning disabilities and sight impairment, and, you know, I just learned from my dad at a very uh, early age that there are so many other things that people can contribute in life other than what we consider typical. And, I mean, just being able to write about Will Trent, for instance, my character who has dyslexia, and to show, you know, the symptoms of dyslexia are really positives for a detective. He's very organized, and he's very good at putting puzzles together, and he's very perceptive about uh, people's emotional cues and that sort of thing. To me, you know, it seems like something that's really benefited him in a really positive way. Yeah, and and how important that is because there aren't a lot of authors that do that, uh, Karen, especially fiction, especially famous authors such as you are. So I can't begin to tell you how important that is. You know, right now I'm doing volunteer work with high school students with disabilities, and those with learning disabilities are the most brutally bullied in school so brutally bullied that I have lost some of them to suicide. Mm. So here you are with a character with a learning disability that look what he does, look what he can do. So I tell everyone about, you know, what you've done and about that character, and I am sure you have no idea the impact you're having. Well, you know, again, I just tell stories like I see them. And in my life, you know, my sister has dyslexia, and when we were growing up, how she was diagnosed was that the teacher said she was stupid. And it took a really long time for us to understand what dyslexia was and how this had affected her. And she's so smart um, and so good at figuring things out. And, you know, she's she's just probably one of the smartest people I know. But to grow up thinking that she wasn't smart was really just soul-crushing for her. So, I, you know, I, I want to write about that, and I want people to see, you know, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. Right. And those high school students with disabilities experience <clears throat> what you've said. For example, they'll leave class, one of their classes, to go for tutoring, and that's it. You're stupid, you're weird, you're dumb. Um, and, you know, when I grew up, when you would get home from school, it's over. 
But right. now when you get home from school, there's Facebook, all this social media. You know, I mean, people can't believe what people say to these kids with disabilities on Facebook, like, you're a freak, you should kill yourself. Um, and that's why when I go to those classes, I actually tell them about you and tell them about Will Trent and how successful he is. And um, as I said, you're making a difference. Well, thank you but very I, much. I wanted to talk about, I never can explain your, exactly your writing. Like I'll say mystery author. Mystery author, um, but, you know, with a criminal orientation at times, it's very hard for me to explain other than everything's fantastic you write. So how do you describe the genre of your books? Well, you know, I really am happy to be called a thriller writer. Um, and I think that thriller has something to do with pacing. But honestly, you know, it, any book you pick up doesn't really fit in one genre. I mean, if you think about a classic like Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, I mean, that's fantasy. And no one ever really thinks about that. The thing is, when people who think they're really smart and well-educated like a book, they say it transcends the genre. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm really happy to be firmly in that, that thriller uh, position. Um, many people think that it means there's no character development or that, you know, every chapter is like two pages. And, and some are like that, obviously. But, you know, I think that you get out of a book what you put into it. And if you're looking for just a fast read, then you know there's a James Patterson or Janet Ivanovich. But if you're looking for more social statements, more character development, then that's the sort of thing I'm interested in doing. Well, and you do it very well. And, you know, I noticed you mentioned, and I know this is very important to you, libraries. You yes. know, on your Facebook, you talk about that a lot. I know that's very important to you. Um, so I wanted to give you a few minutes to talk about that so that we could get support from our listeners. Well, you know, one of the most important things about libraries is they really are the backbone of most communities. And people who maybe have older children who don't need the library anymore or who are fortunate enough where they can buy all the books they want and they don't have to go to the library to get books don't understand how many wonderful things the library offers other than just books, you know. I mean, it's such a dynamic relationship that libraries have with communities. There are out in the West, for instance, libraries that do tool rentals. And, you know, there are some here uh, in Atlanta that give courses on how to be urban farmers and animal husbandry and raising chickens when you're in a very small community uh, who might not uh, necessarily want you to be raising chickens if, if you're in an urban area. Uh, but also English as a second language um, and the Internet, which is a really big thing. You know, you can't really have access to the world if you don't have internet and it's very expensive to have that in your home so if you live in a household without the internet and you have homework and you want to go to college or whatever you have to go to the library to get that it's the only place you can get it basically for free uh, if you want to work at Walmart or Target or one of the big box stores most of them will only let you send applications online. And again, if you don't have that access, you can't apply for a job. So it really is important that we have these communities. Um, they help people, you know, fill out their tax forms. If you want to start a business, you usually go to the library. People with disabilities. I know a, a girl who, 
used to work for me in one of my former jobs when I owned a sign company. She had macular degeneration, and the equipment for people who are sight impaired is very expensive. Well, it was back then. And the only way she could read books for school was to use the, um, the systems at the library. Uh, and, and that's really the point, is for the library to, to kind of be that part that takes up the slack where schools can't provide. For 83% of kids who live in rural areas, their only access to reading or the Internet outside of school is the library. So it's really important we keep in mind that we have to keep investing in libraries so that we are really investing in our future. And one of the statistics that really shocked me uh, that, that I think most people don't know is that something around 60% of all juveniles who are in the juvenile justice system are functionally illiterate. And can you imagine, just from a political standpoint, how much money we could save if we would invest early on in helping them read and maybe opening up a different life for them? Oh, I know. And that that point you made about, um, you know, a lot of, in many of the schools today in the city, as you well know, um, it is... 90 to 95 percent minorities, mm-hmm. and that is because in many of the inner cities, I call it the white flight because, you know, other people have moved out to the suburbs. And just as you said, many, and also many people with disabilities, because a lot of people with disabilities live in poverty, mm-hmm. would not have access to uh, Kindle or the Internet or any of this. So I agree with you. And, you know, I mean, I just love a library. I, I just love being in the library. I mean, there's just something about it. Um, and, and, you know, I am one, of course. I read a lot of your books on my Kindle. But I also am still so old-fashioned that, you know, at times I just have to have that book in my hand. But the, the fact is... A lot of people could not do either without going to a library. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have, is there like a, you know, some, do people just contribute to the libraries? What do they do? Well, you know, we have a site called SaveTheLibraries.com that um, gives people information. But as authors, we don't want to be the ones taking any money from people. So what Mm -hmm. we do is we encourage authors to adopt a local library. And when, you know, sometimes authors get paid to speak at places. And what we say is, hey, take that honorarium and have them donate it to your local library. Um, or do fundraisers. We've done a couple of fundraisers. One was in DeKalb County, which is where I live, right outside of Atlanta, um, and we raised a quarter of a million dollars. It was me, Kathy Hogan Trocheck, who also writes as Mary Kay Andrews, and Catherine Stockett. We did a fundraiser, and then we did continual fundraising. Um, and it's just really added up, and it's really been instrumental to the library. But I can't express enough how, especially people with disabilities, I mean, the library is that last bastion where, you know, I don't want to say that reading is a luxury, um, but it, it's becoming more and more of a luxury, having that ability to just get a book and read and enjoy it. And, you know, this is our tax dollars. We pay for libraries to be open. And as an author, you know, I love libraries because they buy my books. It's not like the publishers give them for free. Um, but it's so important that we have this just because it enriches people's lives in so many ways. Okay, so the name of that site, again, is? SaveTheLibraries.com. 
Um, okay. Or you can see it. It's through my um, uh, KarenSlaughter.com website. You can find it all through there. Okay. All right. Um, okay. I have to know, where the heck did Cop Town come from? <laughs> I see this. I read it. What? Where did this come from? You know, what happened to uh, Lena, Will Trent, everyone else? And I must tell you, I really liked it a lot. Well, thank you. But you know, I, I just did, needed I a did little wonder. change. Um, and I love writing about Will Trent, and I'm certainly going to go back to writing more Will Trent books. But I, I wrote a book about three years ago called Criminal, and that took place partly in the 1970s and partly in the present with Will Trent and his boss, Amanda. And I wanted to return to that time period because I talked to so many women who were police officers in the 1970s, and they had so many fascinating stories. And also just, you know, being a woman who lives in the world, I've obviously noticed that as we make more and more progress as women, we have a lot of backlash against that. And I thought, well, you know, it's great how far we've come, but it would be really interesting to remind people of how bad it used to be. You know, because, you know, people have this sort of nostalgia about the 1970s. And it was really funny because I would speak to men and they were th- they would just say, oh, the 70s were fantastic. You know, we smoked all the time. We drank. We had sex whenever we wanted. We had our wives taking care of everything at home, our mistresses that took care of everything else. And then women said, well, I couldn't get a credit card. Uh, because I was unmarried, or I couldn't lease an apartment because a single woman leasing an apartment was obviously a prostitute, right? Uh, or I couldn't get a car loan, or just, you know, all of these restrictions women had. Um, and thank God we don't have them anymore. But I wanted to really talk about that and kind of, as I said, have it as a reminder of how awful things used to be. Uh, but, of course, you know, I'm writing primarily for entertainment, so uh, I had to put a, a good um, thriller in there. So it's on the surface about a cop killer who's targeting police officers in Atlanta, and the story is told from the perspective of two police officers who are women. And it was a lot of fun writing about them um, and, you know, just kind of getting um, the, the lay of the land in the 70s because, of course, I was born then, but I was a little kid, so I wasn't paying much attention. I'm going to say one thing. I don't want anyone to call me sheep. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. You can't get it until you read Cop Town, and then you'll get it. Um, but I really, I really did like that book, and I'm thinking, wow, where'd this come from? I mean, this always amazes me. There's an author writing all this, and then all of a sudden, end of, and by the way, you really explained, I thought, civil rights for women and how it was for women. Uh, because when I talk to women, uh, older women that, you know, lived during that time, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I'd be in the office and my boss used to come over and, you know, pat me on the uh, behind or tell me wear shorter skirts. And, I mean, it's so hard to believe we forget there was a time like that. Um, so, you know, I thought that you represented it very well. Well, thank you. You mentioned criminal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Talk about a thriller. Listen, folks, if you have not read this book, if you want to get the book that you'll be up all night, you've got to get this book. I mean, it is, oh, 
That's all I'm going to say. You've got to get the book. And our character, Will Trent, is in the book. He is, as I said, a lead character in several of Karen's books. Here he is living with dyslexia. And I think, as you mentioned, it was your sister that caused you to do all this, right? Yes. Well, you know that part you said about the teacher calling the person, calling your sister stupid? Mm-hmm. That, that's what the worst part is, is when, still to this day, when students with dysgraphia or dyslexia tell me that a teacher says something like that. I mean, I just can never believe it, that, that even today that happens. Well, uh, you but, know, I think it, I would like to think it happens less, because I know teachers, um, who are teaching now. I have several friends who are teachers, and they're just more aware of it. You know, when I was in school in the 1980s, basically, and my sister in the 1970s, especially for girls, they really didn't think about learning disabilities in the way that we do today. There was not the awareness. Um, And I think in some ways it makes it even more horrible when a teacher today dismisses a kid because there are so many resources where if the teacher just went that extra mile, they could figure out what was going on rather than just, you know, say, hey, you know, you're a loser for the rest of your life. Um, and my sister wasn't in her, it was uh, in her 20s when she finally figured out what was going on. And that was a teacher who told her, a friend who was a teacher who said, hey, you know, have you ever thought you might have a learning disability? And the funny thing is, my father has it as well in a very mild way. And you know, I confuse left and right a lot. I'd like to think it's because, uh, you know, I'm not being lazy. Um, but it's something that is in my family and has been for a while. But even my dad, who had it himself, didn't think to say, well, hey, this is something I have too. Um, so I think people can talk about it more, which is a good thing. Yeah, I agree with you. But sadly, again, I believe there are many great teachers But for some reason, there's a problem that still exists with this because a young man that's in my office right now um, with dysgraphia, when he was a senior in high school, and he's not very old, he still had a teacher telling him, why are you using that? You're quitting, using that assistive technology. You're cheating. Quit doing that. Or I've had teachers tell uh, kids with disabilities, you probably won't be able to go to college but you could do this. And when that happens, I just get so upset. But on the other hand, there are teachers that are great and that encourage people to go on, and thank God they're in the majority. Um, but because when you do that to someone, it just never leaves. You yeah, know absolutely. It just never leaves them. I have to say something about Karen before we go further. I've got to tell you um, this reminds me of Jeffrey Deaver, who I also know, who said people sometimes get disappointed when they meet me because they'll see me with my jeans and my Mickey Mouse watch on, and they were, ex- I guess, expecting some heinous-looking person. You read these books. Where do you meet Karen Slaughter, if you ever get to? She's this attractive, petite, blonde that, like, never would you picture that she's the author of these books. Never. But thank God you do write them because they are really, really good. But I have wondered, like, do people give you a hard time about some of the things in the books, like rape or when it's graphic? Do you ever get men or people say, why do you write like this? 
You know, the funny thing is that I've had women who say, why do you write about violence against women? As if not writing about it means it will go away. Um, But I think it's very important to bring a woman's perspective to these crimes because for so long women didn't have a voice about them. Um, And, you know, also I'm very careful in my books. I kill more men than I do women, and I never get credit for that, uh, <laughs> which is kind of confusing to me. Uh, but it, it, it's, I guess, just the nature of the, the business that people care more, you know, especially if a woman is murdered, if she's an attractive woman, if she's white, middle class, uh, bonus points if she's pregnant, you know. It just it really is the biggest beauty contest there is when a woman is murdered. If she wants to be on the cover of People magazine, she better meet all that criteria, um, you know, because people with disabilities are minority women or, you know, they just don't get, their murders don't get that kind of attention. Um, so I'm really aware of that when I write my novels, and I try to do something that's very difficult, which is sometimes I'll have victims who survive, and I want to really tell their stories and bring a woman's perspective to it, because there's nothing sexy or exciting about rape. There's nothing um, Hannibal Lectory, you know, kind of uh, interesting to the crimes I write about because I just want to show them for what they are, and I want to show how it affects the people who investigate the crimes. You know, Will Trent is a really good guy, and he tries to do right by people, and Faith is his partner, uh, and his um, girlfriend, Sarah Linton. You know, they really are affected by these crimes in a very emotional, visceral way. And that's what I've seen when I talk to police officers and other people who deal with solving crimes. It's not something that is an easy job. And, you know, we only hear about the bad actors going from what we were just talking about with teachers. You know, there are millions of police officers in the world, but we really only hear about them when something heinous is done. Um, And I really want to make the focus of my work about how crime affects people at a very physical, visceral level. And, you know, that's kind of the point of all my books, is not just to write about something that's horrible, but to explain the aftermath of the horrible thing. Right. And I have, I I agree with you, actually, I have a few other comments about that, but I told the engineer... Uh, no calls today, except I knew this one call was coming that I am going to allow through. So we have a guest on the line. Are you there, Mark? Hi, right, Mark. How go. are you? Good. How are you? Great. I'm glad you called in. My name is Mark Periello. Um, Karen, I am the president at the American Association of People with Disabilities, which Hello. is the nation. Hello, which is the nation's largest cross-disability organization. Um, and the thing that I wanted to share with you today is that your work is so important for people with disabilities. Um, Will Trent um, has dyslexia, and the fact that you wrote that in um, to the storyline is a really, really big deal for people, um, not just with invisible disabilities, but with all disabilities. And AAPD every year gives out an image award um, to someone who is helping make the world a better place for people with disabilities 
through their work um, in the artistic arena or in media um, or in Hollywood, um, and we would like to give you that award. Um, and I wanted to announce that today on Joyce's show um, so that, that everyone would hear the good news um, as well as you. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's because um, your work is so, so good. Um, well, thank you, Mark. I'm very touched by that. So, so, Mark, maybe you should explain where she would receive this award um, and what this place is like, because I know, for example, President Obama has been invited for this year. So why don't you tell Karen what this is like? Yeah, so it is, um, if your schedule permits, um, our annual gala dinner and leadership awards. Um, it, there are um, almost a 1,000 people in attendance, um, disability leaders from all across the country, corporate leaders who are trying to do right by people with disabilities, members of Congress, members of the administration. Um, as Joyce mentioned, we have invited President Obama to come. My fingers are crossed um, that he will join us this year. Um, it's also the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 2015, so we're planning a really special event um, for next March. March. Gosh, you know, I would love to come to that. I would love to get more details. It sounds like a, a very worthy cause. Great. Thank you. Um, I'll follow up with Joyce and get in touch with your, your people, and we can go from there. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a safe trip. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Joyce. Um, I'll get off the line so you don't have to hear all these announcements behind me. Oh, that's all right. I appreciate that you called in. So, Karen, congratulations. Yeah, what a a shock. I'm so pleased. That's that's really an honor. Well, it's really a big deal because before when you were at a Justice for All Award, that is uh, very important, but this is on a very grand scale, and uh, there's always someone from the White House there, CEOs. Uh, when Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder received one of our Image Awards. Uh, you will be the first uh, author oh, to wow. ever receive an award at this gala. And I was even thinking when, Mark, when we talked about this that, um, you know on Facebook how you have those clips for one of your books? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll put one of those up on the screen. Oh, nice. So I'm really excited because yeah, well, this, I hope you'll is, be there, Joyce. this is a big deal far and wide, um, and you know what? You deserve it. Thank I you. Am so, I'm just honored to even know you. So you, you really deserve it. As you can see, this has a big impact on all of us because of what we're dealing with with our extremely high unemployment rate for people with disabilities. And you know what one of those reasons is? Pity. I feel sorry for you. You're inferior. And that is why I love that you do not have Will Trent as this pitiful man. I can't thank you enough for that. I don't know if you knew from the beginning you wanted to do it that way or if it just happened. Um, How did that happen? Well, it was really a conscious choice on my part because, you know, I wanted to make sure that I showed him in a realistic way and that people understood that, in many ways, this disability was a strength for him and actually enhanced his life and made him different, um, but different in a unique and positive way. 
And it's not just that he had dyslexia, but he grew up in an orphanage. And for a lot of kids who grow up in state care, as adults, they stay in state care. They end up in prison. Um, and for Will to say, I'm not going to be a statistic, I'm not going to end up in, in jail, I'm going to make sure that I am the type of person who controls my own destiny as best I can, was very important to me. And as we learn in criminal, there were some um, invisible hands beside the, behind the scenes helping him along the way. Um, but he really made that choice that he was going to live his life on his own terms. And I think that's something that we can all respect. Um, but, you know, as we find out, as I said in criminal, um, nobody is an island. No one can um, take complete credit for being self-made, you know. Um, and he did need help along the way. And I think about what you do a lot because you help people so much. But, you know, as much as you do to help with, with employment placement, for instance, that person has to go to that job and show up every day and keep that job. And so we really have this symbiotic relationship with people who are helping and people who go out there every day and show up and give 100% and do the best they can. And so when I was thinking about Will Trent, before I even put him on a page, those were the things that were in my head, is this is a really strong guy uh, who's going to take advantage of any opportunity. Well, and he is, and uh, thank you. You know, like, this is such a big deal to the whole United States, this 25th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the ADA this coming year. And what is amazing is that here we are 25 years later, and we still have the highest unemployment um, in the United States but of any minority group. But, you know, um, it's true what you said. It takes a lot of people behind the scenes to help that person get to where, you know, where they are. And and that was just represented so well in that book. And by the way, I was very um, surprised with the background of your character, Amanda. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Well, Jeez, you know, I, I love everyone. writing about strong women, but she's kind of a mean woman. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted yeah. to know why she got that way. And I think yeah, well, that's why it. I like. That's why it was like, wow, I would have never thought this. And I just want to say to all of you. Once again, you've got to buy her books. First of all, they're outstanding. But we've got to support anyone who is supporting us. And I know there are 45 million of us, so we can just get part of that. Um, We're really making a difference because you know what? It's going to help so many young people. It really does. And in addition to that, as I told you, if you want this criminal, you will not go to bed. You will be terrified. You've got to get that book. All of Karen's books, I have read every one of them. I must say that that one and the one where you had the big surprise, we can't tell anyone, really unbelievable books. Well, thank you. Yes, really well written, really good. And I want to go back for a moment to what we were talking about, the way you write, um, you know, about these graphic crimes. What I would say about that is if you whitewash this, so to speak, then you really are not representing the horror that women go through who are raped and, as you said, the people around them. You know, if you if you don't really say this is what it is, 
then it's like it's under the covers or something, or it's, oh, this happened, but, oh, it's really bad. Um, But, you know, it's not being truthful to the situation. So um, I think it's good that you do that. Well, thank you. By the way, you did receive the AAPD Justice for All Award several years ago, and if I recall right, I remember you telling me how much that meant to you. Is that correct? Absolutely. I still have that award in a place of prominence in my office. Well, that is that is wonderful. That really is. This will just be unbelievable, this uh, event next year. So I definitely hope that you'll be able to be at that. Absolutely. So, Karen, we were talking about people living with dyslexia, and I was telling you how they are brutally bullied all the time. Sadly, as I told you, I've lost a couple to what is termed bully side. But for those young people, because I have a large audience that is also younger people, what advice do you have for them? Well, you know, it's gotten a little trite to say, but it does get better. Um, You know, as a kid, I think the worst feeling you have is that this is going to be your life. Um, And, you know, not to minimize the experiences of, of these particular kids with disabilities, but nobody really loves high school. <laughs> and it's a horrible microcosm of all the awful things that people can be. And, you know, if, if that was it, then I would understand why people would be so desolate. But, you know, this is just a small part of your life. And once you're an adult and once you're out in the world and you have control of your own destiny and you're not stuck with people who you don't necessarily like, um, and, you know, you, ha- you, have to, you have to endure that, I know, and it's an awful thing. I wish, I wish so much that kids didn't have to go through any of that. But, you know, once you get through it, it's just, it really is easier when you're an adult. Um, and I know for kids it's hard to think that way. I mean, God, when I turned 40, I thought that was the worst thing that ever happened to me because I never thought I was going to be an adult, and that pretty much cemented it. Um, but, you know, there's, you just have a long, beautiful life ahead of you. Yes, I always said if I could put in a bottle the ability for you to take this pill and you will now see what it's like to look back on these people that you were worried about when you were in school... I would be a trillionaire, but it's true what you said. While you're in school, it's like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the end of everything. Then when you're out of school and you look back at this, you say, and I worried about that. What the heck was wrong with me? Yeah. But I'm not meaning it isn't terrible, though, while you're going through it. But, you know, it really does get better. It really does. Uh, especially when you get out of high school. I'd say that that's uh, the key, getting out of high school. And, and Karen, you know, I've always thought about you, that you have a very strong, you have a strong character. You're a very tough person. That's how you come across to me, like a wonderful person, but that, you know, you're definitely not a, a weak person in any way, shape, or form. So who had this impact on you? Like, who was your role model? Well, you know, my dad, and everybody talks about how important mother-daughter relationships are, and they really are, but my father um, was, you know, the the father of three girls, 
and he was completely outnumbered. Uh, but he made it his priority to really be a positive influence for us. And, you know, he was involved in our lives, and he did things like he made sure we knew how to change a tire and that we understood how money worked. And this came from growing up uh, and watching his own mother, who was in a very abusive relationship and was completely powerless um, because my grandfather was a horrible person. And so my dad made a conscious effort to make sure that the girls in his life had some sense of autonomy. And we all know how to take care of ourselves. We're all self-employed, uh, and we're all pretty tough. Um, and we all are, you know, pretty uncompromising, uh, if, that's a, if you can use that in a positive way when you talk about a woman, about what we expect from people. Um, and I think we get pr- treated pr- pretty fairly because of that. I mean, if you project that you will only accept fairness, I think that the world gives you fairness. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, no compromise. Uh, that's what we always say here. There are certain things there is no compromise, and one of them is don't pity us. Yes. I mean, there are just certain things. It cannot happen. So I know what you mean. How Would you say that ninth grade teacher was another role model of yours, the one that told you uh, you can do better? Oh, absolutely. You know, and she, when I hear all this um, the talk about merit pay for teachers and, um, you know, holding teachers accountable, I mean, she was the best teacher I ever had, and I was terrified of her, but there's no way she would get merit pay because if a student failed a class, they failed a class, and they had to take it over again. You know, she didn't believe in makeup. She held us to a standard, and we had to meet that standard. Um, and, I mean, it just really gave me the sense that I could be better. And I think every kid needs that. You know, it, as great it is, as it is for parents to say that they love their kids and they want them to do well, if they make things too easy for them and the kid never has to achieve anything on their own, then they don't understand the value of achievement. Um, and, you know, going back to my dad, that was something he really taught me was, you know, you have to speak up for yourself, you have to be confident in your opinion, uh, and you have to believe that you deserve a place in the world. Well, it's wonderful. I always tell people, always remember there's someone watching. There's either a little girl or a little boy or just a friend. There's always someone watching, and you can just never imagine the impact, you know, that it has on you. Um, and before I went, I got to go back to Coptown again. I have a question. Are we going to see Maggie and Kate again? Oh, definitely. Not soon, but definitely down the road. I've got to write a Will Trent book before we get back to Maggie and Kate. Well, I would be upset if we didn't see them again, but as we would be upset if we did not see Will Trent. You know, how long does this take when you write a book? I, I can't even imagine because I think people forget that there's just tons and volumes of research that goes into this when you're an author, but how long does it take for you? Just from the moment I get an idea to when the book is completed could be anywhere from three to four years. Um, The actual physical writing, I devote an entire year to it, and I'm not doing that every single day, but my head is in the book every day for a year and you know I sit down and I block out time where I'm actually writing it Um, 
you know, and it's it's not an easy process because you have to be very forward thinking. Uh, but one of the pluses of that, if you're writing a series like with Will Trent, when I wrote the last Will Trent book or the most recent one, which was called Unseen, um, I was already thinking ahead of other things that I'm going to be putting in the next few Will Trent books. So I was able to plant some clues to that when I was writing Unseen. And that's really a fun thing for an author to do, and it rewards people who are paying close attention. Um, but the whole process is very hard to pin down because, you know, some books take longer than others. Um, some books are easier to write. Coptown was more, easy, more easier to write than Criminal because I had such a volume of research that I'd already done. But, you know, anywhere from three years to, to sometimes four or five. Wow. So does that mean we have to wait two to three more years for your next book then? Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm working on my next book. It's called The Truth About Pretty Girls, uh, it will be out next year. It's not Will Trent, but the one after that will have Will Trent in it. But I hope, you know, since you like Cop Town, you'll give The Truth About Pretty Girls a chance. Oh, yes, we will. We all will. It's what we love about you, Karen, is in addition to be a very talented person, and by the way, a very uh, modest person, uh, I have to say that what you've done just by having Will Trent um, is just a phenomenal thing. I mean, you know, and, by, and you, do, do, you do depict dyslexia very well. Even the feeling ashamed, you know, even that I don't want, I don't know that I want people to know this. You know, you project, you really, you really do project that very well. Well, thank you. So now someone has to have epilepsy. Don't forget that. (laughs) (laughs) You got to figure out years in the future who's going to have epilepsy. Okay. But don't make it the bad person. I don't want to be the bad person. No, don't worry. You could never be the bad person. Or well, Karen, you have accomplished so much in your life already, even at that old age of when you turned 40. And you know what? One other thing I want to mention to everyone. She has a great sense of humor. Just go to her Facebook and you'll see what I mean when I say she has a great sense of humor. Did that also come from your father or where did that come from? Oh, definitely it came from my dad. He was always playing jokes on us. Um, you know, he just thought it was funny to terrify us. And I don't terrify people on Facebook, but I like to post funny things. Yes, you do. So, what is your greatest accomplishment? You know, I, I will go back to what I was talking about earlier, and that's being able to do for a living what I want to do. Um, you know, and to have such a positive impact on people. Uh, I tour around a lot with my books. I go outside of the United States on tours and things like that. And it's so rewarding um, as someone who has always wanted to be a writer to have such a positive response to my writing. And do you have people come up to you and, you know, talk about all these things, such as a person having a learning disability? I do, uh, and you know, I'll have people, um, like with Coptown, I wrote about a guy in the 1970s who, um, as a child, had measles and was rendered deaf, um, and he's actually Maggie's next-door neighbor, and I had to speak to uh, someone who actually runs a hearing aid museum about what equipment this guy, who was born, obviously not born in the 1970s, he was born in the 1950s, 
but as an adult in the 70s, you know, what, what technology would he have had? And I had to learn quite a bit about that. And I remember at one of my events, actually not in America, it was in Holland, um, a hearing-impaired person stood up and said, you know, I really appreciate that you got that right because a lot of times people don't bother to find out what was being used. And, you know, that, that was meaningful to me, not just because it said, hey, I've done work, but it reminded me that there are all kinds of people who are reading my books and I need to be careful about the details I put in and try to get them as accurate as possible. Yeah, and I, I didn't even mention that. Yes, you included the deaf community, and um, in one of your first books, you included a person who is blind. Yes. So you have uh, covered various disabilities, and I, too, wondered if we would see that next-door neighbor someday um, because I thought that was a very interesting character. Well, I, I really like his character, and I do envision uh, more of a relationship between him and Maggie. Um, but I also wanted to show some of the hostility he faced in the 1970s. You know, people with disabilities, certainly there are obstacles today, but in the 1970s, it was considered something of a moral failure um, if you had a disability. Um, and by some people, fortunately not all people, and Maggie's brother is one of the people who feels that way, and he's been very nasty to this hearing-impaired character, uh, and I really just wanted to show that in context. Um, and, you know, Maggie's mother says to her, even though the guy has a very good job, he works at the telephone company, you know, you shouldn't be interested in a guy like that. Basically, she's saying, you know, because he's hearing-impaired, that means... He, you, he won't have a good future when everything points to the contrary. I mean, even today, working at a phone company is a great job for anybody. Yeah, and you know, you know, oh, once again, oh, so many people who are deaf. Just yesterday, I'm with this executive who told me, you know why I want to help you? My two nephews are deaf. And when they got out of high school, one went to be an electrician, one went to HVAC training program, and neither person can get a job. So they're working as janitors. Mm-hmm. And it is hard. And there, there are these, uh, I'm always surprised because I live in a world of disability. So, you know, it's just, I don't even see the disability, I see the person. Um, but it is always... Uh, Horrible to see the stigma and how people think about that. But, you know, that was great that you included that character also. So, Karen, um, first of all, congratulations again on uh, being our first author and at one of the most important events we're going to be having. Um, Again, everyone listening to the show, this is Karen Slaughter, unbelievable writer, great person, just tremendous thrillers. Oh, my goodness, you've got to go get the books. But you just heard her talk about a person who is deaf. She has a lead character who is a person with dyslexia, and she's had a person who is blind. You know what that means? She's including us. We are part of life, and she's making sure people know that. So, Karen, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, if I could say, too, one, uh, Joyce Bender, perhaps one of the most um, soulful and sweet people I've ever met. Uh, And, two, just keep doing your best. That's all anybody can ask of you. 
Well, thank you so much. As I said, it's an honor even knowing you, Karen. One more time, everyone, go out and buy that book. Remember, you are one and only one, but one person can make a difference just as Karen is for millions. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.